Please open your Bibles to Luke 23, 50 through 56. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 884. I will be reading from English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Thank you, Ken. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would uh, not only add your blessing to the reading of your word, but Lord, uh, the proclamation of your word and uh, to me as the messenger and your people as uh, the recipients, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, even our hearts to uh, receive the word of God that we might um, love our Lord Jesus more and uh, obediently submit ourselves to him in trust and faith. We ask in his name, amen. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 in a moment. In this passage, Paul tells us that there are three things of first importance in the Christian faith. And as I read these uh, two verses, I want you to ask yourself if uh, one of these three things that are said to have be of first importance seem out of place, that seems like it's not as important as the other two. So 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So which of these three things, Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, which seems a little out of place? Well, we understand why it is important that Jesus died. He died for our sins. We understand why he rose. He rose from the dead so that we would have life after death. But why is it of importance, or as Paul says, of first importance, that he was buried? Isn't it odd that Paul puts burial on par with Jesus' death and his resurrection. 
Our passage teaches us the importance of Christ's burial. But it doesn't do so propositionally. It doesn't say, here's the reason why it's important that Jesus was buried. Rather, it teaches us through the actions of a man named Joseph, who was from a Jewish town called Arimathea, and the actions of a group of ladies who had followed Jesus for most of his three-year ministry. Uh, They had been supporting his ministry uh, ever since he had been in Galilee. We know the names of some of these ladies uh, because uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 Uh, lists them if you're interested in knowing their identity. In order to understand the importance of Christ's burial, we'll need to examine the, the actions of Joseph and these ladies. And so we'll start with Joseph. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a very rich man. Uh, Luke's gospel, here in our passage, tells us that he was a member of the council. Well, that's the Sanhedrin, the very religious body, or sorry, the very, uh, the very body of religious leaders that charged Jesus with heresy, tried him unfairly, found him guilty, and pronounced the death sentence upon him only hours before. Luke points out in verse 51 that Joseph had not consented to their decision. Uh, It's my speculation. I think there's strong reasons behind the speculation uh, that they did not invite him to the nighttime trial because they knew that Joseph's character was unlike theirs. In verse 50, uh, Luke tells us that Joseph was a good and a righteous man. In verse 52, it says that he was looking for the kingdom of God. In other words... He wasn't a a hypocritical social climber like the rest of the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. He was a man that loved God, looking for his kingdom. And so I believe that they did not invite him. And they did not invite him uh, because uh, the very end of Luke 22, I think it's around verse 70, 71, 72, somewhere along in there, it says that all of them pronounced him guilty. In other words, it was unanimous decision that Jesus deserved death. Well, Joseph, had he had been there, would have disagreed with their decision. So it would not have been unanimous. So I, I, I think that they did not invite him. We'll leave the troublemaker out. Uh, it's a very common tactic of, of un, unscrupulous people to go around or to leave out people who are morally upstanding. In fact, this, this tactic was frequently used when our denomination was started in 1973. The mainline Presbyterian denominations were quickly going liberal, and so many of the churches wanted to jump ship, leave the mainline churches, and come into this new denomination that was started in 1973, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, or PCA for short. And in the mainline denomination, or the mainline Presbyterians, the churches do not 
own the church property. The presbyteries own the church property. Uh, so when a vote came up to leave in whatever church, the presbytery would, because they owned the property, they would get into the, the church offices, get into the church roles, and with the help of people who were sympathetic to the mainline liberal denominations, they would help the leaders of the presbytery go through the church roles. And they would contact anyone um, who and, and invite them to come to the congregational meeting as long as they were willing to vote against the congregation leaving. Even if these people had not attended the church in a decade, maybe two decades, uh, they, would, they would contact them. The church is having a congregational meeting. Come and vote against them leaving the denomination. And anyone who was more theologically conservative and might be for the congregation to leave the denomination because the, the liberal denomination was going even more liberal, they wouldn't contact them. It was all very unscrupulous, very unethical. And also because the presbytery owned the property, even if the 100% of the congregation voted to leave the mainline denomination, uh, they had to leave without the property unless the presbytery would vote to let them leave with the property. And, of course, that very rarely happened. That's why very few PCA churches uh, own the old churches on the, uh, on the town square, but rather are on the outskirts of town in a little, little building that was maybe built in the 70s or 80s. The only way PCA churches own the grand old uh, churches now, typically, is because the mainline churches have uh, shrunk into non-existence, and they put the property uh, up for sale, and the presbytery can't afford to upkeep the property, and so the PCA buys back what was theirs by right. Um, so... Um, these churches were very faithful to God and his word. They were so faithful to God that they were willing to leave the property behind, even though generations of their family uh, and their family's money likely had built those grand old churches. Uh, and I'm kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's helpful for us to know a large group left First Presbyterian Church here in Brandon. Uh, First Presbyterian Church, if you've never seen it, it's behind Bill's Pharmacy up on State Road 60. And they left in 1967 because the preacher was standing in the pulpit using the, the newspaper and preaching moral sermons about what was happening in the day-to-day -day life of the town and, and not preaching from the Bible. They left without the property. They met in a cattle auction um, for a while until they were able to buy this property and build this sanctuary. And fun fact, uh, you may not have known this, since they started the church before the PCA was started, 
the church was named Independent Presbyterian Church until sometime in the mid-80s when it was changed to Westminster Presbyterian Church. We are beneficiaries of that generation's faithfulness to God. And so the Sanhedrin uh, knew that Joseph would not support their underhanded tactics So they did not let him know about the late-night meetings and their dirty tricks that uh, they had planned in order to find Jesus guilty and uh, sentence him to death. Apparently, Joseph found out too late to protest, and so he attended Jesus' crucifixion. When Jesus died, Joseph went to... Uh, Pilate to ask for his body. Now, this is testimony to Joseph's wealth and influence that he could get a private audience with Pilate uh, in a moment's notice. We know from Mark's gospel that Pilate was, was surprised that Jesus had died so quickly, so he summoned uh, one of the centurions, asked him to check and see if Jesus was dead. Indeed, Jesus had died. The centurion confirmed that he had. And John's gospel gives us more details. The Jews did not want bodies hanging on the cross on the Sabbath. Remember, the Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday, so this was a Friday. So what the Romans would do to uh, appease the Jews was as the Sabbath approached and the Sabbath would begin at sundown on Friday evening they would break the legs of, of the uh, people on the cross. And remember, while they were on the cross, the only way that you could get oxygen to your legs was pushing up on the nails that were driven into your feet. So it was either uh, go through the pain of pushing up and getting air into your lungs or suffocating. And so the natural urge to live, you would push up even though it was so painful. But then if you broke the legs of the people on the cross, they could no longer push up and they would suffocate and die uh, very quickly. Uh, Jesus, however, died before his legs were broken. And to confirm that he was dead, this, we, we learned this from uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 19, to confirm he was dead, one of the soldiers had a spear, and he shoved it into Jesus' side. And what came out? Not only blood, but also a flow of water. In medical terms, this was an effusion of blood into the pericardium, whatever that means, but that's what the medical term is. And it was a telltale sign of death. Because Jesus was confirmed to have died, Pilate then allowed Joseph to have Jesus' body. Typically, anyone who was crucified would be buried in a common grave with all the other lowlifes who had been crucified previously. Um, and, but because, Joseph's, because of Joseph's bold request um, to Pilate, then that did not happen. Joseph presumably uh, helped take Jesus down, uh, or had help 
taking Jesus down from the cross. Uh, he would have taken the nails out of his feet, out of his hand. Uh, here in our passage, in Luke 23, it says that he wrapped his body in a shroud, uh, a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone. Another little fun fact for you. We know the identity of one of the men who helped Joseph take Jesus' body down from the cross. It doesn't tell us here in Luke chapter 23, but it tells us in John's account in John chapter 19 verse 39. It was none other than Nicodemus, the original Nick at night. Uh, He was there helping Joseph take Jesus' body down from the cross, and he helped Joseph wrap his body in the linen shroud. And then they took his body, carried it, and maybe they had other uh, uh, people to help. But they took it to the grave. The wealthy would cut their graves from the limestone uh, hills around Jerusalem. Limestone, pretty soft. Uh, rock, and so they would cut out graves. The, the wealthy would have graves cut out uh, from the limestone uh, to be their tombs. And Joseph, he laid Jesus in a tomb that he had cut for himself. Um, I want to make one point but I'm, about that specifically, but there's another point that I want to make. Joseph didn't seem to have this idea that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Uh, We don't have an indication of that in the scriptures. So then why is he showing Jesus such respect? Why is he asking for his, his body? You know, for Joseph to go to Pilate and ask for this criminal's body, this man who was found guilty of treason... Well, that was kind of a dangerous thing. Why would he uh, go to that length just to give Jesus a proper and decent burial? Well, I think the reason why, I think it's, um, it's a no-brainer. Joseph loved Jesus. It was love and compassion for his Lord. Even though Jesus had died, even though... We don't have any indication from the scriptures that Joseph thought that he was going to be raised from the dead. He just, he loved him. Isn't that what faith is? Isn't that why Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Joseph loved Jesus. Even though Jesus had left his body, his body was dead. He cared for his body, wanted to give him a decent burial. But it's also important that Joseph laid Jesus in the tomb that he had cut for himself um, because it says no other dead person had yet been laid in it. Look at the end of verse 53 so I can quote it specifically. It says, where no one had ever yet been laid. 
What does that tell us about the importance of the burial of Jesus? Or what, what does all this tell us about the importance of the burial of Jesus? Well, here's why this is important. Within 40 years of Jesus' death, Christianity had spread and had taken hold all over the Roman Empire. From Spain to Rome itself to Asia Minor, even there is evidence that, uh, that the gospel had taken root in India and in uh, Ethiopia and in Alexandria in Africa. So Ethiopia and, and Alexandria in Africa, India all the way over to, um, to Spain. It, it had taken root within 40 years. That is a short period of time. Why did, did Christianity spread so rapidly? Well, it was the preaching of the disciples. They had preached that Jesus uh, rose from the dead, and they preached so courageously that uh, the gospel began to take root. And all of them but one were martyred for the content of their sermons. Their, their fearless preaching, in other words, confirms that Jesus did rise from the dead. They were eyewitnesses. Why would they be willing to lose their life if they knew that all of it was just a lie? So people who hate Jesus and who hate Christianity have come up with various theories to suggest that Jesus' disciples were, were um, not lying but were simply mistaken. Some say that Jesus did not really die on the cross, but had passed out in shock. And he was carried to the grave, and he came out of his, his shock. He woke up, and there he is in the middle, middle of a grave with a stone. He couldn't get out until uh, the, the stone was moved. So that, that's a theory that's, that's been out there for 2,000 years. Um, others... Um, Others say that Jesus, um, I'm sorry, um, the, 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 the argument to that and the reason why it's so important that uh, uh, Joseph and Nicodemus and whoever else uh, wrapped him in a linen shroud, took him down from the cross, the soldier stuck the, uh, the, sword, uh, the spear in his side, all these things confirmed that he was, he was dead. They handled his body um, and carried him all this way. They knew that his body was lifeless. They knew that it lacked the warmth that it would otherwise have had had he still been alive. So... Um, it's also important that Jesus was laid in a tomb that had not yet been used. Otherwise, it would have been impossible to point to the empty tomb as clear evidence of the resurrection. If Jesus did not really die and the disciples were only mistaken, then what does that mean? It means that Jesus did not really rise from the dead, that he was a fraud. That also means, therefore, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
No life after death. No fellowship with God. No salvation. No hope for humanity. But the events surrounding Jesus' burial confirm by many credible witnesses, including the soldier who pierced his side, including Pilate, who confirmed that Jesus was dead, among others, they were credible witnesses that Jesus did indeed die and was buried. You know, there's another theory that unbelievers have devised. They say that the women who came to the tomb on the, early on the first uh, day of the week, on the resurrection morning, that they accidentally went to the wrong tomb. So that's a theory, and finding it empty because they went to the wrong tomb, they came up with the story of the resurrection. But here in our passage, it explicitly says that the ladies followed Jesus and saw the tomb. Verses 55 and 56. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. We also see why they came back not on the next day, but early on the first day of the week. They didn't have their spices ready, uh, their ointments ready to properly uh, anoint his body for burial when he went into the grave. Then the Sabbath day began being, um, being faithful to God. They did not work on the Sabbath. They didn't even go and and anoint Jesus' body until the Sabbath had ended. So they were there at daybreak on uh, the first day of the week. And so that is why um, they waited. Verse 54, it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. So they didn't have a chance to properly anoint his body. Now I want to draw attention to the first phrase in that verse. Even though my comments are going to have to do with uh, do little with the burial of Jesus, day of preparation, it says here, verse fifty-four. It was the day of preparation. The day of preparation refers to their preparation, not of the spices and ointments, but the the preparation for the Sabbath worship. They prepared ahead of time to give the Sabbath day to God. And this seems to be a wise practice. On a practical level, it might mean having our clothes out and ironed on Saturday in order that we can arrive early for worship uh, without feeling rushed or hurried. It might mean, I think it should mean, seeking God on Saturday evening to prepare your heart for worship on Sunday. I could go on and on. You get the idea. There's something wise about preparing to worship God rather than just showing up to worship. Now back to the subject at hand. The burial of Jesus is of central importance to the Christian faith because the burial of Christ draws attention to the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died and he was buried. Many people, as we have just seen, witnessed it. If Jesus did not die, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we're still in our sins. It's important 
that the Bible confirms that he died. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Adam sinned against God and he earned for all his descendants, all humanity after him, including you and me, uh, he earned for us death. So Jesus had to suffer death on the cross to pay the penalty for Adam's sin and pay for every one of our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he, might be, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Our Lord Jesus never, ever committed a single sin, but he took our sins upon himself on the cross. He suffered in our place. He died in our place. He could only satisfy the full demand of justice by dying because the wages of sin is death. Jesus did not come into our world to teach us how to be good. He came into our world to die for the ungodly, to die for sinners. And when we entrust ourselves to him by faith, our debt due to sin and our guilt due to sin is completely transferred onto Jesus' account. Romans 5.10 says that we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. All we ever needed to have a relationship with God. All we ever needed to have forgiveness of sins. All we ever needed to have eternal life was accomplished by Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. Philip Ryken rightly said, in order to experience the full joy of the risen Christ, we first have to experience the heavy sorrow of his dark tomb. The fact that Jesus died a physical death and his body was buried means that he also had a physical resurrection. Jesus died and he was resurrected in our stead. Because Christ went to the grave ahead of us, it also means that he can lead us out again into eternal life. Christian, you do not need to be afraid of death. Jesus died so that in him we might triumph over death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in his flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So many live their lives in hopeless fear because they know that they will die one day. And then, what will it be like in those moments just before I die? Or what will it be, be like after I die? What awaits me? These questions plague humanity. If you belong to Jesus Christ and you have entrusted yourself to him, you can face death without fear because he has gone before you in death and he has conquered death for you. Not only that, but he will also go with you through death 
He loves you that much. You do not pass from this life into the next alone. The Lord Jesus, by his Spirit, is with you. You never need worry again about what will happen as you die if you are in Jesus Christ. Trust him today if you've never trusted him before. Trust him today if you already trust him and trust him every day. Renew your faith in him as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you conquered death for us, that you died for us, that you suffered sin's penalty for us. Oh Lord, remind us of your great love for us because we are frail, we are weak, we will die one day. Lord, help us to um, not face death with fear, but with confidence and joy because we belong to you, we ask in your name. Amen.